Well, good afternoon. Boy, what a buildup. It's pretty bad when you have to have two people come up and pray for you before you get up and speak. <clears throat> and then to go ahead and say all those things. Oh, my goodness, how nice. This sermon could have been called, I Depend on You. What a great song leading into this. And I think the song after is going to be In Christ Alone. And that would just be a perfect uh, bookends to what is going to go ahead and I'll be speaking about today. Um, I titled this Humanly Impossible, and we'll see this as we go ahead and, and go through all the stories that we're going to go through in the book of Mark. So because you have your Bibles, why don't we turn to Mark chapter 4, and, uh, and, and uh, we'll go ahead and read from, from there. Now, this story is a 24-hour period in the life of Christ. And so I thought it very important that we go ahead and go through each story and that we add a little bit of detail to it because Mark is very blunt. He's very to the point and he's a very powerful speaker, but he goes from one, one conversation to the next. He goes story, 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 story. He just goes through the whole, the whole book that way. <clears throat> I thought it important. We go ahead and add just a couple other things and you get to think about how I think when I read the Bible, which would be uh, interesting. He's very... Uh, I'm very bullet point, and so I love the book of Mark, but we can, uh, we'll see how this ends up being. You know, there's different ways to read the Bible. We can read it for the prophecies, we read it for the stories, we read it for um, the poetry, and then here at RBC, we read it verse by verse, we read it chapter by chapter, we go through book by book, and then we see how the book fits in with the Bible. We read about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, or we read about the armor of God in Ephesians. But today, sometimes we just got to go back to some of the little simple things. So we're going to have a tell me the stories of Jesus day. Sound good? <clears throat> Occasionally, we got to read the Bible just for the fun of it and go ahead and absorb the stories that are in it. So I would like to explore Jesus and his time together with the disciples in chapter four and in chapter five of Mark. But we'll start at the beginning. The four stories that we're going to read today, they're very familiar to all of you. It's like your favorite movie that you go ahead and see on TV. For my wife, when she gets the little thing in her hand, not very often, but when she does, she goes ahead and she sees Star Wars, and we will stop at Star Wars, and we'll be on that for the next two hours. She's seen them six, seven times, but she can watch them over and over again. In fact, I went to the bedroom last night, and The Wizard of Oz was on. And uh, wow, what a weird time that was. But because these stories are familiar, we sometimes just glance over them. And we wanted to go ahead and have just a little bit of fun with these stories. Just make them come alive a little bit. Now, we want to keep this in context. We don't want this to be words that I would make up or ideas that I make up, but just a logical thought. And so if it's hard to read the screen sometimes, don't worry about it. These are stories you're familiar with. Just enjoy and just go ahead and listen. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, <clears throat> And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on the, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. You notice that he starts out, he said, and he began again to teach. And what does that imply? It implies that he had done this many times before. And in fact, in Mark 3, if you skip back one page, 
it says seven, in 7 and 8, it said, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great, followed, a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all the things that he was doing, they came to him. So Jesus has already got a big following. He's talking about things that they can a little bit more understand. He's speaking like he does in the Sermon on the Mount. They're hearing things different than what they would hear from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the ritual that they went through. This guy's different. He's coming out and he's meeting them on their turf. He's in the middle of his ministry. Jesus has been very busy and he's a little bit tired. He doesn't have a lot of free time. He's got great crowds that follow him wherever he goes. He just does not have a moment to breathe hardly. He's the rock star of the day. Now, there was a concert just a week ago, Zach Williams and, and Mercy Me and Toby Mac and even King and Country. People flock to those things and they go ahead and, and try and get the front row and everybody just packs in to see them week in, week out. You know, he was like the Swifty of the time. He was the rock star and everybody wanted to see him. I mean, that's the weirdest thing that we go ahead and come to church and we sit as far back as we can. But man, over there, they're pressing him and they're pressing him so much that they're sending him into the sea. He has to talk from a boat. They want to be so close to him. In verse two, he's presenting the sound doctrine, but he moves to teaching in parables. The reason he's doing that is he wants people to go ahead and discover who the Lord is. He doesn't want to just tell them and them just hear it and then walk away. He wants them to start discovering who God is and who he is. So he speaks in parables. And we're not going to address the parables. We do not have enough time. I would not be able to do them justice. There is too much to get out of each parable. So we're going to go ahead and skip down to uh, verse 35 of Mark 4. However, you do notice the one word at the very end, in the starting verse, the starting word in chapter, in uh, verse 3 was listen. You remember there was an old pastor who used to be on TV. His name was Charles Stanley, and he died this year. But he would go ahead and he'd be in the middle of speaking, and then he'd say, listen. And this is what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to get them to listen, to hear what he has to say. And in fact, in verse 9, it says, and hear if you have ears to hear. In the King James, it's understand if you have understanding. So he was trying to get them to understand what he was talking about. He gets done speaking. And after the multitudes, most of the day, now when Jesus went ahead and spoke, he went ahead and talked for an hour, two hours, whatever. It's not an hour and a half message, and then you leave the church and you go on your own way. When he got done, people wanted to see him because he would heal them. He would explain some of the mysteries. People wanted to flock to him and have their moment of time with him. So it lasted a half a day for him. And it says here that it became evening. So in Mark 4, 35 to 41, we'll go ahead and read. It says, on that day, what day? The day he was going ahead and preaching and doing the parables. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep in the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, 
Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is going ahead and teaching them during the day. He now sends them off and he gets in the boat with his disciples. And the interesting part here is that he had taught them all these principles. He has been teaching them principles, but now he's going to show practicality. He's gone ahead and inspired them with some words. He's been teaching, but now he's going to do application. It's not just about knowing what you're saying and what you say, but it's what you do with what you hear. And so he's going to go ahead and prove that. To set it in context, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and it is seven miles wide. And he wants to go to the other sea. He wants to go to the other side. So he is at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, the lake. And it is because there is a flat land there. There is sand and there is grass. It is just a gradual upcoming so that it makes like a perfect auditorium there. He wants to go ahead and, and preach from there. Now, this is where Magdala is, and that city It is where Peter and the fishing boat were found and where Peter had a fishing village. It's where the, Mount of, or the Sermon on the Mount was delivered. It was the perfect place for him to do this. And he's in the boat, but he wants to go to the other side. So look at verse 36. It says, And leaving the crowd, they took him in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. Listen to the interesting style in this. It says, he sent them away. He sent the crowds away, the big congregation, but there were little boats that went with them. So some were involved. Some got into boats and went with them. Oh, and then he got in another boat with others and they were all in. And isn't that how a congregation is? You know, most people just kind of come, they listen and do, and then there's some that will follow and, and go ahead and be involved, but then there's some that are all in. And Lord, that we would all be all in. If we were, we would have a a great revival here in Belleville. So that's where they were. And the King James says it was little ships that were following him. Now, why would that be important? If he said they were little ships, that means that he probably was in a bigger ship. And that's how he probably had 12 disciples that were able to go with. He was in a bigger fishing boat. Also, though, I think they put that in there so that we would understand that it wasn't just the 12 disciples that experienced that flood and the, and the cleansing of that flood and, and the, the storm, but he had the 500 that witnessed his resurrection. It was the same idea, is that other people witnessed it. It wasn't just the 12. There were a lot of people that had witnessed this, and they were watching. So here he is, there's other ships that are following, and he's never alone, very, very rarely. <clears throat> You notice that it says, and just as he was, he had no overnight bag. He didn't have a backpack. And ultimately, he didn't have a raincoat when he gets in the boat. Now, verse 37, it talks about a great storm that came up. You know that I live on Belleville Lake. And on the west end of the lake, there is a sandbar there. And 100 ships, 100 boats will come in, a couple hundred people, and they'll all throw frisbees and do whatever they do at that sandbar. Not important. But right next to that, as they're playing and doing whatever they're doing during that day, there is a road that is called Lake Point Pass. 
and it is about 40 to 50 feet off the lake, and there's houses on both sides. But ultimately, the point is, there are times when a storm will be coming, and the people in the two to four foot water are not paying attention, and all of a sudden, it comes over Lake Point Pass, and they all get drenched. In fact, there's been times a couple of years ago, for now, four or five years, where their boats got away, because of the high winds and they tried to swim after them and got cramps or whatever happened and ended up drowning trying to chase the boat because they couldn't catch them. Sea of Galilee is the same way. Remember we talked in the north, it's a gradual slope. But on the ends, when you're coming from like Tel Aviv and you're going into the Sea of Galilee, there's seven to 800 foot high hills. And on the east side, it's the same thing. It is surrounded by hills. So no one in their right mind is gonna get in a boat if they're gonna have a big storm. And I wanted to show you that storm. I think it could come up on here. In 1992, there were some waves that were recorded. <coughs> and um, as this video is going, these, these uh, waves would get 10 feet to almost 20 feet high. During this video, which we are not seeing right now, but they were about 10 feet high. Oh, okay. I don't see it in the back, so it's a mystery. Well, I've already seen the video, but here's the point. See how high those waves are? See how they're pounding into the wall? And at the end of this video, you're going to see that the waves hit the wall and they go down. And what you're trying to read up there is that there is a stairway going down and it is 10 feet to the bottom of that stairway. It is showing that the waves are at least 10 feet tall. These guys weren't in just a little two to three foot storm when they were on that lake. They were in one of these. They were in a disaster and it was nighttime. What is Jesus doing? I mean, the pro fishermen, they're panicked, right? Jesus in verse 38, he's sleeping in the back of the boat. Now it says that the boat was filling up. That means Jesus was so tired. How tired do you have to be to sleep in the back of the boat in a rainstorm with high winds, with 10-foot waves, and the boat is filling. In fact, it's almost full. And he's laying in the back, which means he's three-quarters under the water, laying on a pillow, and he is asleep. Can you imagine? Here come the disciples. And they wake him up. And here's what they say. Don't you care that we are drowning? And the ones in the ship, they were so desperate. And here's what they're saying. Hey, man, get to Balin, man. We're sinking. Get to Balin with us. Now, remember, he wakes up, and he goes ahead, and he rebukes the, the winds, and he calms the sea. Here's how I would do it. The rebuking is um, he's going ahead and telling the demons, you know, to be muzzled. He's telling the Pharisees, and he rebukes them. Remember when he said to Peter, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. It was that kind of language that he used at the way at the winds. And then he said, peace be calm. I would have said, hey, look, at, knock it off. Oh, and by the way, peace be still. And then turn around, you know, he's still rubbing his eyes. He's soaking wet. And he looks at all the disciples. They're staring at him like, what went on? And he just says, what? What's the problem? The thing is, is they didn't understand who he was. And they couldn't get that. Remember it said now too, it says there was a great calm that came over the place. When there are high winds, they don't just suddenly stop. And especially, you know how you throw a rock into the water and a puddle just goes out for a while? Or if you're, if you're a water skier like some of us, man, the water is like glass in the morning 
and one boat will go by and you have waves for the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes as they go ahead and dissipate. Not here. There was a great calm and it was sudden and it scared them. That's what it says. You said they were, they were so afraid. And so he says to them, why are you so afraid? What's the big deal? Don't you know who I am? Is what he's saying to them. And it doesn't say that exactly, but it says, have you still no faith? He's asking them, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I can take care of this? What are you so worried about? And so they are in full fear. They feared because the winds and the waves stopped immediately. They were completely calm. Now they've been asking for about a year and a half and, being, and seeing all the things that he's done and they're still asking, who is this guy? That he even controls all of that. So point number one is that Jesus is the Lord of physical creation. Okay, so imagine now, the sea is calm. It was nighttime. I think it was approaching morning. Can you imagine the squeaking of the oars? Remember, we are in a fishing boat. It doesn't have a motor. The sail is not working in 10-foot waves. And in fact, the oars aren't working that well. And it's not like the U of M row team where everybody's got an oar. This is a fishing boat. There may be two oars, there may be four, but that's it. The rest of the disciples, they're bailing water, right? They don't, remember it said they went just as they were? There were no buckets in the boat for them. There weren't 12 buckets lined up so they could each grab a bucket and bail. They're bailing as much as they can with just their hands as they're rowing across. And you could hear the squeaky oars as they're going across the water, right? It was a great calm. But there was another couple of guys that saw it too. They lived in caves and they heard all of a sudden everything go dead silent. And that's where we pick up story number two. In Matthew 5, 1 through 13, and I'll read this, but this is the Gadarenes. They end up coasting into the Gadarenes. Now this is on the east side of the lake and it is a high mountainous area. And this is where the tribe of Gad was given the land um, at that time, when, when Jacob had the 12 sons, each one of them were given a section of land. This is where Gad ended up. And it speaks to that in Genesis 46, 16. It talks about his sons. And so this is the land he was given. It was once Jewish. So here's the story. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. 
and the herd, numbering about 2,000, they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. On Wednesday night, we have been talking about um, who God is and how the Bible is, was created and how it's canonized and what could be added, but more importantly, how accurate the Bible is. And if it had a story that was just a little bit off, then it would just be another good book to read. There were inconsistencies is what people try and point out. This is one of the times. In Matthew 8, 28, it will speak of two guys coming out of the caves, two guys running down and kneeling, and two guys saying that they were legion in them. So which one's right? Was it two or was it one? A simple answer to that would be found in like Luke 17, 11 to 19. It talks about the 10 lepers that were healed. And it said that they all went out to go do their ritual of purification, but one came back and thanked them. And Jesus even says, weren't there 10 of you? Why is there only one? Where are the other nine? Right, remember that story? Same thing here. Matt, remember we talked about Mark. He's very quick to the bullet point. He's just, he's not worried about the other guy that didn't come back and thank him. He's just worried about the one guy and he's going to tell that story. So there are no inconsistencies there. There's no discrepancy. It's just they told it just a little bit different. He wasn't worried about the second guy. Mark wants to deal with the first one. In the first five verses, it talks about his strength. He had the strength of Samson. They could do nothing to hold this guy back. It was humanly impossible to fix this guy. And he had a legion in him. And a legion at the time was a 6,000 troops. And so this guy was totally filled and totally possessed by demons. And there was nothing they could do. And the demons spoke as one. It says that they ran to Jesus and they fell on their knees and they worshiped him. Reminds me of Philippians 2.10 where it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Same reaction. The devils in them went to see him. Now here's what I think happened. They're up in the cave and all of a sudden they see boats coming across. They can hear them. And the demon possessed guy says, wow, they went through some fantastic storm. We got to go ahead and find out how they survived. They run down the hill. It's Jesus. Wham, down to their feet they go. And they proclaim who Jesus is. That's kind of how I think that the story went. But isn't it interesting that the disciples in verse 41 didn't know who Jesus was. And here the demon possessed guy did. Even after all that time. I love the idea of the new converts here too. It's uh, in Jonah 1, 14 and 15. Uh, it speaks of, you know, Jonah is thrown over the boat. And all the people that came on that boat went ahead and bowed down and worshiped to the Lord. And newly convicted, new, new converts. It's just one of, those, one of the best parts of the story is that here are these, here's this guy at the bottom waiting for some kind of healing to go on. So we work to verses 9 through 13. Christ has cast out the legion. He's sent him into the pigs. And you notice that the demon said, hey, man, can you send us into the pigs? We don't want to go out of the country. They didn't want to go to the abyss, to the place waiting for them down the road. They already know where they're going, and they already know the king of kings that's going to send them there. Isn't that awesome? The people in that country, though, had slipped so far away 
from their Jewish traditions and rituals that they were raising pigs, 2,000 of them. <clears throat> in Mosaic law, that was totally forbidden, and uh, Pastor Garrett will be speaking on this, I don't know, in a couple of months now. Um, in Daniel 11, uh, it's 34 to 40 or something, it's somewhere in there, but it's Antiochus Epiphanes goes ahead and takes over the temple and sacrifices pigs in the temple. Remember that? This is where these people are. They're raising pigs. You notice that Jesus went ahead and said, okay, I'll give you permission to go. And then he sends them off. Who's in control of the situation there? Isn't it great to see Christ is in control of the whole spiritual world like that? So we'll read Mark 5, 14 to 20. It says, the herdsmen fled, told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what, what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Notice there's a gap between verse 13 and verse 14. It says, and the herdsmen fled. Where'd they go? It says they went into the town and they went into the country and they were telling everybody, man, you are not gonna believe what just happened on that hill out there. There was a mass chaos and there's a bunch of pigs that are in the water. Now, who doesn't want to see a great train wreck, right? Everybody stops to gawk. So out they come from town and they go running out there. Now that takes time. So it's been a couple hours probably by the time they spread the word. Oh my goodness, what's going on? They all run out to the hill to see what had gone on. And what do they find? They find the guy is totally normal. He's not disheveled anymore. He's in clothes. Someone had to go get him some clothes. Remember, they, didn't, they came as they were. They didn't have those around. In that time, just think on how this would be. They're pulled up in the boat. They're soaking wet. So you know they pulled all their clothes off and they got them on rocks, they're drying in the sun, they're in their polyester shorts, everything's good. And they, and they go ahead and all the clothes are drying and now they've got the boat and all 12 of the disciples are flipping the boat over to get all the rest of the water out of it. You get that picture? Everything's gotta dry out. So they're staying there for a while. What is Jesus doing? He's talking with the one guy, the one guy that he went over there for. When he said a few verses earlier, let's go to the other side of the ocean, the lake over there. He was talking, I need to go see this guy. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> the disciples had flipped the boat over, but the people came down and it says they were afraid. The pigs were in the lake. They didn't know what to do. They were, the guy was clothed and I'm sure they had a ton of questions for him. But here's the interesting thing. Their economy was ruined. All the ham and bacon was at the bottom of the lake. And they didn't know what to do. They weren't going to be able to sell it anymore. They had a disaster in their town right there before them. And instead of embracing what Christ had done for that guy, 
and what he could do for their town, they get scared and they send him away and tell him to get out. Makes you wonder why they were worried more about their securities than they could have been about their spiritual health. If they would have accepted those healing, that healing and they would have accepted Christ there, he would have gladly gone into town and he would have and gone ahead and preached and gone ahead and that whole town probably would have been saved. And we have an instance of that a little bit later here. In verse 18, said the man stayed with Jesus. He started to have a relationship with him. Jesus took the time to cross the sea for that one guy. That's amazing. But here's an awesome finish to the story. It says in verse 19, he says, hey, I want to come with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go into town and out to the countries, and why don't you go ahead and witness what the Lord has done? Now, how many times have we read the Bible stories, and Jesus says, and don't tell anybody? But here he went ahead and he said, Go and tell what the Lord has done. Go and tell him what I have done. He calls himself the Lord. He is right there proving that he is God. And he sends them out. He sends this guy out. What does the guy do? It's probably one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. And the point to the story is that Lord, the Lord is um, in control of the spiritual world. Here's the remarkable thing. In verse 20, it gives a summary of what this guy's life is. It says, the guy went out into the Decapolis and spread the word, right? He didn't have one Bible lesson. He didn't hear one sermon. He never came to church. What happened to him? He was saved. He had the Lord in him. And he went out to share his story. That's all that we want to do is share our story. We already have enough education. Every one of us sitting in here know enough about God to be able to share our story. He says, just go ahead and get, catch fire and everybody will come and watch you burn. And that's what that guy does. Spent the rest of his time telling his story. Makes you wonder how many people are in heaven because of him, doesn't it? That town was ready. Jesus was saying, the harvest is ripe. Man, you need to go tell that story. I don't have time. I got somewhere else to go. And that guy obeyed him. On to story number four. Mark, tw Mark 5, 21 to 24. And when Jesus had crossed again, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Okay, Jesus gets back in the boat. They wanted him out. Imagine, he's rowing to the other side. It's about seven miles away. What is going on in that boat? It's been 18 hours. They have seen a great calming of a storm. They've been soaking wet and in fact, almost died in the storm. Remember, they were begging for their lives. Jesus, please start bailing water. What can you do for us? We're, we're totally out of options. They see the pigs and they see the man that is revived and the pigs are all in the water. So they're rowing across the boat. Remember, there's only a couple rowing. The other ones have a lot of time to think. And as they're rowing away, you got to imagine the picture. There's 2,000 pigs in the lake where they're rowing away from. And there's a lot of people that are there worried about their securities and forgetting all about their spirituality. That's where he was. Now, I think he went 
back over to more Tiberius, more of the west side, maybe the northwest side, Magnilla. The reason I say that, when you get to Mark 6, verse 1, it says, and he left from there, these four stories, he left from there and he went to his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth happens to be directly west of the Lake of Galilee. So I think he went over to the west side, and as they're rowing in, there's a ton of people there. Okay, so it's calm. They're rowing back. They've got a lot of things to talk about. There's a couple hours when they're sharing, Lord, how did you do that? Right? And he's going ahead and answering them and telling them who he is. There's continual emotion, but there are people waiting. And in verse 22, it says, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, goes ahead and meets him. Now, there's a throng of people, and he's bumping into everybody as he's going. But Jairus comes down and falls at his feet, and he says, man, you have got to come to my house. My daughter's dying. And so Jesus says, okay, let's go there. It says he pleaded. He implored him. He was at wit's end. There was nothing humanly possible that could be done for his daughter. And he knew that Jesus could do something. Now, my thinking on this is Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue, it tells us. And I don't know if he was the ruler of the, the synagogue in Magdala or in Tiberias or wherever he was, but remember what it tells us in the scriptures that Jesus spoke weekly in the synagogues. He spoke weekly to the people. Jairus would be the guy that probably called him as a guest speaker to go ahead and speak. So they knew each other a little bit. They knew who each other was. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house. He was desperate that he wanted Jesus to come to his house because he knew he had seen from his actions that Jesus could do something for his daughter when no one else could do it. You got to wonder if Jairus was contemplating whether Jesus was the Messiah at that point. And I guess we'll know one day, but I know one thing. He did know that Jesus could heal him and he asked him to come. So in verse 24, Jesus is on his way there. But why didn't Jesus heal him from there would be the question. And I think part of it is Jairus asked him to come. And it makes you wonder how we pray. He could have said, Jesus, I know you can heal him from here. I know you're busy. And he would have healed him from there. We have to be careful how we ask God about the things that we are in need of. And so he goes ahead and asks him, he totally engages. We're supposed to be clear on our details when we ask God what we need and what we want so that he knows that we're totally engaged, right? Our prayer life is very, very important. Anyway, so off he goes. And the people are thronging him and they're mobbing him and he's bumping into them. It's, it's like being at an arena when the concert gets over or whatever, right? You're just smacking into people. You're trying to hold on to your kids or whatever just so you don't lose them. That's what's going on in this mob. And that takes us to story number three, the story inside the story. Verse 24, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd, touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? 
And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that uh, what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman had an incurable condition of 12 years, and I don't even want to think about it, but she was clearly an outcast because she was unclean. She probably wasn't married. She was probably on her own because it had been 12 years. So she is off in the distance. And I wonder to myself, how many times did she see Jesus and hear of all the things that had been done, but couldn't get close to him because she wasn't allowed? In Jerusalem proper, there is a, a wall all the way around it. And if you were unclean, you had to go outside the city, go through your purification rites, and then be let back in as clean. Same with Moses. Remember the tabernacle and all the tents around? They sent him outside the camp till they were purified. So she wasn't supposed to be there. But there's a throng. There's a crowd there. People are excited. They're not paying attention to her. And she says right here that she snuck up behind him. Reminds me of Romans 10, 14. It says, you know, how will they believe in whom they have not heard? She had heard about him. We're supposed to tell the story. I think that she went ahead and she snuck up behind him and she grabbed his garments and then she stepped quickly away. But she knew she was healed. Nothing was humanly possible that could be done for her. It said that she was even getting worse. She went to all the doctors. There was nothing that could be done. But her faith had cured her and she knew it. Here's verse 30, one of the more amazing couple of verses here. It said, he felt, in the King James says, he felt virtue go out of him. He felt power go out of him. It takes energy to make things happen. In Luke 6, 17 to 19, I told you this was only going to last eight minutes, didn't I? And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and he healed of their, and, and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were clean, cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Wouldn't you like to have the deeper faith of that woman? Everybody was touching him. Everybody was running into him. But she stepped out in faith and touched him. She really touched him. What a great story. And he says, who in the world touched me? He's turning around looking, and the disciples, it had to be Peter. It just had to be, he says, you've got to be kidding me. Who touched you? You don't see this big crowd in here? There's a bunch of people touching you. But he goes ahead and focuses on this lady. And it says that she fell down. She fell down to, his knee, to her knees to confess to him. What happened with Jairus? He fell down on his knees to go ahead and ask for his daughter. What happened to the man that was possessed? He fell down on his knees. It's going to be the position that we all take one day. We're going to fall down before our Lord and claim that he is the Lord, Lord, King of Kings. It tells us right here that all of these people fell down when they came to him to ask him to do something miraculous for him. So who touched me? He's spinning around and he's interesting but he recognizes the woman of faith. And what a precious moment that must have been when he saw her. What kind of time in that big crowd that the two of them spent 
together. And it says here that she was made whole in verse 34. It says, and the woman knowing what had happened came in fear and trembled. And you said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You hear what that's saying? You, you be spiritually healed. Oh, and by the way, you're physically healed. See that? It's two holes right there. He not only healed her of her disease, but because of her faith, her stepping out, he healed her spiritually, spiritually also. What a great testimony. You notice in that last verse, it says, daughter. He calls her daughter. She was saved. That's what he's going to call us, sons and daughters. Isn't that great? Back to the fourth story. And the point to this story is that Lord, he's the Lord of our spiritual and our physical bodies. Mark 5, 35 to 43. And we have to pick it up here a little bit. But are we having fun anyway? All right, good. Five people are having fun. The rest of you guys, wake up. We're, it's going to be okay. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, she is sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years old of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them, and told them to get her something to eat. People come to the house and they say that she's dead and that Jesus doesn't have to go there anymore. And clearly now, this is four times where it was absolutely humanly impossible to do anything except for Jesus being God to be able to do something. Remember, he's putting it into practice. Sometimes we limit the Lord just a little bit too much in the way we think and believe, that's for sure. The way I read this too is, read in verse 36, it says, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. It's like what had happened in verse 23 saying, listen, keep the faith that you had in verse 23. In verse 23, it says, and Jairus begged him to come and heal the daughter, right? He's saying, don't lose focus. Don't get off course. Keep believing. Just keep believing. I'm coming to your house. What a great testament. <coughs> Jesus went to the house with his inner circle, the true believers, and the crowd was still there. Now, probably had professional mourners. Certainly, a 12-year-old will attract a lot of attention when they die compared to maybe a 100-year-old person. You get the point. A 12-year-old is going to attract a lot of attention. They know her sick. Now she's gone. And he says, oh, well, she's not gone. She's just sleeping. And they laughed at him. And it makes you wonder why... And, how you know that they were probably paid professionals. They went from crying to scoffing right there. You, know, you ever been to a funeral and everybody will say and do anything they can, but they, uh, they stay away from a God issue if they can help it. This is where these guys were. They were all mourning. 
and they were, they could have been true believers that were that were entered into the house, but the unbelievers were left outside. In Matthew twenty five five, it talks about um, the virgins. Remember the ten virgins with the oil on the lamps, and five had the oil enough, so they went in, and the other five were left out. The same scenario here. They left them all out. They're crying uncontrollably, and he eliminates all them. Immediately, it says twice in that verse, immediately she was healed, and immediately they were stunned. They were, it was a draw-dropping event. The fourth point is that the Lord is in control even over death. Thank God that he is. Would we have gotten Jesus if we were alive back then? And this is a 24-hour period. We all have days that we remember. I remember when we adopted kids. Everybody's got a day, right? This is one heck of a day for those disciples and everybody to, to remember. We have the calming of the sea. That's, he's the Lord of the physical creation. We have 6,000 to 1 in Jesus' wins over the spiritual world. We have the woman that was healed, not only bodily, but she was healed physically, and then he's the Lord over death. People may wonder why there are not more stories in this Bible about what Jesus did. Remember, the Jews would constantly clamor for another miracle and another miracle. We only have a few stories in here compared. But I want you to consider John 21, 25. It says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. God gave us all that we need to believe in him. He just wants us to tell our story. And he has total control over the entire world, inside and out, spiritually, emotionally, physically. He's got it all handled. And he's standing at the door and he's knocking. And he's waiting for us to go ahead and receive him. If you don't get Jesus yet, boy, this is a great time to get him. And these stories should make you think a little bit more about how powerful and how nonchalant this was for him. Remember it says, and he healed her. Oh, by the way, go get her something to eat. Why are you so afraid of the storm? Right? It's no big deal. God has got everything so under control that it is easy for him. It is not an effort. If you haven't received Christ as your Savior today or are living for him, boy, this is a great time to do it. And I thank you for a chance to be able to come up and speak. Father, I just thank you for an amazing, amazing time to read about 24 hours in the lifetime of you that we can understand that you take things that were said and you put them into practice and you're asking that of us too. Lord, we know that you are in charge of everything. We are so thankful that you have called us to be saved. We thank you for being our savior. We thank you for what Revelation and Daniel are going to say about the future, that we already know who won the war. We already know how this all ends. Lord, we just thank you for being that savior. We pray that we would have the conviction of the woman or the demon-possessed guy or Jarius, Lord, that we would go ahead and seek you first and that we would be all in. Lord, I just thank you now for an opportunity to go ahead and worship you with a, a great song. It is Christ alone. Lord, I just thank you for time spent here. Just pray for safe travels home. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.